Well, this morning we come to chapter 13 in our study of Exodus. So if you haven't done so already, you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Exodus chapter 13. And as we begin to read verse 1 of chapter 13 here, we see some very familiar words that we've seen time and time again as we have been making our way through the book of Exodus. And that is the words we see here at the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 13, where it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses. So, we have seen that this is how the Lord God chose to work in the lives of the children of Israel at this time. Moses was the mouth of God to the Hebrews in that day. But at least in one or two of our studies in the past, I've brought up to you that that is not the way that God speaks to His children today. No one man is the voice of God to any group of people. We've seen many religions be established upon one man, or many people build their lives around one man who is a pastor or a pope or this, that, a bishop, whatever it might be, right? But this is not the way that God has spoken to us in these last days. Again, I've brought this up in some studies past, but I want us to actually go and take a look at this this morning. I want you to, even though we just partially got into verse 1 here, I want you to mark this page and go to the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. So you'll find it toward the back of your Bibles there. Look for the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and starting in verse 1. It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. So we see here that there was a way that God used to communicate to His children, but in these last days He has spoken in one way and in one way only, and that is by His Son, Jesus Christ. So, as we read and we study through Exodus, we see that Moses was one of the ways in which God spoke in times past, as Hebrews is referring back to. Moses was one of those ways in which God spoke in times past. But for me and you, He has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see the word us there in verse 2? Right? We are the children of God. God today in Jesus Christ. And continuing to speak of Jesus here, verse 2 goes on to say, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
So this is speaking of you and me today. Again, we see the word us back there in verse 2, and we see the word our there in at the end of verse 3. And if you'd look up one chapter to chapter 2 of Hebrews, we'll see the word we when we read verse 1. Chapter 2 of Hebrews here says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. So the book of Hebrews speaks very emphatically and contains the words us, our, and we. God has spoken to us in these last days, but in one way only, and that is through Jesus Christ, who purged our sins. And we must take heed to what we have heard, lest we drift away. So there's a lot of we's there in verse 1 of chapter 2 because it's up to us as to whether we will take heed or not to the way in which God has spoken to us in these last days. It's important that we understand this, that God has spoken to us. But it's important that we take heed to it. Jesus is the, the way. Jesus is the truth that we need. Jesus gives us the eternal life that we need. There is no Moses in our lives today, no one man that we should pay homage to or listen to or obey. There's only Jesus. And this is the way that God has spoken to us, and we need to take heed. Otherwise, we can drift away from God. We can find ourselves far away from God if we're not taking heed to Jesus Christ, the one He chose to speak through in these last days. See, many people might go and search for God in in many different ways. They might go and and worship mountains in Sedona or go worship creation or, or different things like that, right? But that's not how God speaks to us. Yet creation testifies of God. Creation testifies of His majesty, testifies that He exists. But that's not how God speaks to us and who we are as His creation. It's only through Jesus Christ. So again, there's many different ways that man tries to come up with, tries to devise to get close to God. And oftentimes it's through worshiping another man, putting a man in a certain position of authority over them, their religious leader, the leader of their church or whatever it may be. But the Bible is very emphatic about the fact that it's Jesus and Jesus only. But I wanted to point this out to you again this morning so that we understand that coming to Jesus means that we are going to be obedient to Jesus in these last days. Moses heard directly from the Lord in that day and was appointed by God to be over the people, but God has spoken to us in a different way in these last days. That's why we have the New Testament. And all things that we need to know about Jesus, what Jesus said, and what Jesus did, it's all contained right here in the pages of our Bibles, right? The scriptures that we, that we have so that we can read them and obey them, all we need to know is contained within them. Speaking of Jesus, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us that His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him 
who has called us by glory and virtue. So, you know what? I think I'm going to have you go ahead and turn there. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, right? After the book of Hebrews here, you'll find the book of James, and then you'll find 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And I'm going to have you look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, and starting in verse 1, it says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So that's who wrote this letter here, right? We see that right off the bat, Simon Peter. And he goes on to say who he is writing to. He says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that's me and hopefully you who are listening to this teaching right now. We have a precious faith. And this precious faith came to us or was offered to us by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not by our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We've been offered this faith. Peter goes on to say here, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So you see, in this precious faith of ours, this precious faith that we have, this is what we have. We have grace and peace multiplied to us. Grace speaks of favor, joy, pleasure. And peace here speaks of quietness and tranquility. And all of this we have simply in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus is the only way. This is the way that God has spoken to us. And in Jesus, we have grace and peace multiplied to us, within us, right? Verse 3, this is the verse I read to you just a few moments ago. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. So you see, we are not glorious, we are not virtuous in and of ourselves, right? He is glory, He is virtue. But through the knowledge of Him, we can live a life of godliness if we were to keep our minds fixed on Him keep our minds stayed on Him and focused on who He was and who He is and how He lived and how He wants us to live. Through that knowledge of Him, we can have these things in our lives, all things that we need for a life of godliness, right? And there's more to it. Verse 4 says, "By by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. If you were to meditate on this scripture, really think about it, right? You see that the lust of the flesh, the the lust of the eye, it brings about corruption and it keeps us far from God. But in Jesus Christ, we can walk in godliness because through Jesus Christ, we have escaped the corruption that is in this world. 
Okay? And we can be partakers of the divine nature. Think about that. How can we be partakers of the divine nature? We can be partakers of the divine nature because we have Christ in us. Because Jesus said that when we believe in in Him, He comes and lives with inside of us. By His Spirit, He indwells us. We're partakers of the divine nature. So again, God used Moses to help the children of of, uh, Israel, right? The Hebrews. He helped them to escape from that which they were bound in, right? In the physical sense, they were bound in slavery in Egypt. But in these last days, there is one way and one way only to be set free, to escape the corruption of this world, the bondage of this world, and that is through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, I believe that sometimes this has become so routine, our knowledge of Jesus Christ within Christianity, I'm saying, it's become so routine that we, we miss the power of it. We miss, the Bible speaks of people that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. In other words, on the outside, they may profess it and they may look like it, but they're really denying the power and they're missing it, you know, and that's That's that grace and peace that's within us that's being multiplied to us. But we've been set free from something. We've come out of this world and we've been set free from the corruption, the the bondage that's in this world. And we now have hope and peace and joy and the fruit of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But so many people still get trapped in the muck and the mire of this world. Even those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, they get all entangled with the muck and the mire of this world. That it beats them down and it weighs them down because they're not focused on and they don't truly are, are not truly walking in and living out the knowledge of Jesus Christ in their lives and what he has done in them and desires to do through them, right? And you and I, again, have been spoken to in this way and we are to continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But verse 5 here goes on to tell us, but also for this very reason. Okay, in other words, since all of this is true, since you have Christ in you, since all of this is true, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, Love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, you show that you have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You show this to others around you, and it's evident in your life when you abound in these things in this list faith, virtue, Knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. This is a person that's truly in Christ. They're not barren in these areas, right? These are the marks of the people that have Christ within them. So again, 
as we flip back now to Exodus chapter 13. God does not speak to us today through a Moses. He speaks to us through Christ in us. We have this precious faith. When we repent and when we turn from the corruption of this world and we come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we have a precious faith. And we need to treat it as precious and and live as such. But we continue now to read about how God worked in the lives of the Hebrews. So I kind of fast forwarded in time just to remind you of where we are today in Christ. Because we're studying about the old days and, and the children of Israel here. So as we go back to Exodus chapter 13 again, I'll read verse, start in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn." Whatever the opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Okay, now this word consecrate that we see here in verse 2, it's a word that means to sanctify, to dedicate, to set apart. So whether they had a child or whether they had a new life that came into their livestock they were to dedicate this to the lord now back in chapter 4 of exodus and you can look back there if you'd like but back in chapter 4 of exodus um in verse 22 god says back there in that israel is my son my firstborn this is how god refers to the people of Israel, this group of people. Remember how we we studied about these people all the way through Genesis, right? It was Abraham who had a son, Isaac. It was Isaac who had a son, Jacob. It was Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. It was Israel, the man who had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would grow and be this massive group of people, of a couple million people, that would end up being in bondage and in, in slavery. And God would say, no, this, these are my people, my chosen people. And back there, in, like I said, in chapter 4, he said, Israel is my son, my firstborn. This was going to be the people that he was going to work through and ultimately bring to us Jesus, the Messiah, the one that we all are to worship. Right? But that is what the Lord proclaimed in regards to Israel. Israel is my son, my firstborn. There are those today that think that the people of Israel, the, the remnant that remains, there are those today, even amongst people that profess Christianity, that say Israel means nothing to God anymore. But this would be like saying that a man's firstborn son means nothing to him anymore. So as we see the Lord God instructing them to consecrate, to sanctify, to set apart all all of the firstborn of man and beast, it reminds us of what Israel as a people are to God. And God wanted His people, Israel, to recognize that everything belonged to Him, that He was to be their first priority. And I will ask you the question today, Is the Lord God your first priority? 
Do you praise Him in everything that you have? Do you recognize that all that you have and everything that you own is all His? That's what He wants us to do. And Moses in verse 3, and Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt. Remember, this is what's taken place. They're about to be set free, taken out of bondage, out of Egypt, right? And he says, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. So again, we know as we looked at a few weeks ago, that leaven represents sin in the New Testament. If you were here, we talked about that, how in the New Testament, leaven, when it is spoken of, it represents sin. Um, it's, it's symbolic of that, right? The Lord God was telling them to remember how He brought them out of their bondage. And for you and me today, as the knowledge of Jesus Christ has set us free, we are to consecrate that fact in our lives. Know that we have been set apart from the corruption that is in the world. We are not to partake in the leaven, that is, to partake willfully in sin any longer. Verse 4, on this day you were going out in the month Abib. Now that word Abib literally means newly ripened grain. It is the first month of the Jewish ecclesiastical year and, and the seventh month of their civil year. It began about the time of March, around March 21st. It was called Nisan after, the, after they were brought out of captivity in the book of Nehemiah. The name was changed to Nisan for that month. But again, God wanted them to, to mark this time. Mark it as something very special to remember. And they would do so with a feast. And the feast is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's how they would mark this, this great thing that took place in that time. In verse 5, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. So we see here the fact of the matter was that, that the, the land, the promised land, was promised to God to be for the Israelites. Okay? This land being referred to here as flowing with milk and honey simply means that it was a fertile land and a, an abundant land. Within this land, there already dwelt some people. But that didn't matter because the land never belonged to those people. The land was promised to the children of Israel. Right? The land belonged to the Hebrews as it still does to this very day. It did not matter to God who else dwelled in the land. The land belonged to His firstborn, Israel. Okay? And we see a lot in our politics today, don't we? A lot of focus on that land. A lot of focus and a lot of pressure being put on Israel to give up their land. Oh, give the land to these people. They have the right to the land. But what, what matters? What man has to say? What politics has to say? Or what God has to say? The land belongs to the children of Israel. It's who God 
gave it to. Didn't matter who dwelt there before. Didn't matter that the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and all of these other folks were there. It didn't matter, okay? So when they would finally enter that land, right, which we haven't got there, we're, we started back in Genesis, Exodus. We haven't got to the point there where they've arrived in the land yet, right? But when they finally got to that land, the Lord was telling them, hey, when you get there, remember this. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget that I brought you out of bondage. Don't forget that you escaped Egypt. And he's telling them here exactly how to commemorate that day, exactly what to do. And he gives them details. In verse 6, he says, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. Now again, kind of fast forwarding in time here and relating this to you and me today, how this applies to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Sin, right? Remember? Leaven represents sin. Sin should not even be among us, right? It should be nowhere around us, right? As God gave them this feast, get rid of all the leaven. Get rid of, don't even have it around, okay? And, and, and bringing that up into New Testament times, we shouldn't allow it. We shouldn't coddle sin in our lives. And we shouldn't play around with it and let it be around us, right? Mark this page again. And let's turn now to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you find one book that begins with the letter T, they're all right together there. So if you find a Timothy or Titus, you'll find 1 Thessalonians. But we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll look down and we'll start reading in verse 21. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Test all things, hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So the Lord God, again, for his children, the Hebrews, did not want any leaven to be anywhere around them. And they marked that wonderful day of their escape from bondage. And as Jesus Christ has shed his blood for the remission of our sins, he does not want us to have any form of of evil anywhere around us, right? We are to test all things and hold on to what is good. That means just simply think about this. You know, this is coming into your life, this opportunity, this, this temptation, this whatever it is, right? It's right there. Think about it. Test it. Is it good or is it evil? If it's evil, abstain from it. Walk away from it. If it's good, hold on to it, Right? Hold on to what is good, abstain, abstain from every form of evil. The King James Version uses the word appearance there in place of the word form, okay? I'm reading to you from the New King James Version. 
Anything that gives an appearance of being sin, though, we must steer completely clear of it, right? I know this is kind of a, I don't know, harsh example maybe, but I used to use this example when I worked with the youth group, uh, various youth groups. If, if I were to make some brownies for you, a tray of brownies, and I were to just put the tiniest little speck of dog poop in the brownie mix and mix it up and make it, and I told you I did it. Hey, here's some brownies for you. They're good. They're 99.9% good, but I did put a little speck of dog poop in there. Would you eat it? Right? But yet so many Christians go through life like that today. They say, oh, you know, we go do this because there's just this one little thing and, you know, we just kind of overlook that. Or there's just this one little part and, but, you know, we kind of, we just take the rest of it and we just don't pay attention to that, right? But, but the Word of God tells us to abstain from every, even the appearance of evil, every form of evil, right? So we test all things, meaning, like I said, we question that we question what we're doing or what we're about to do. And does it give any appearance of evil in any way, shape, or form? If so, God wants us to abstain from it, right? Because it's God's desire that we be completely sanctified in this life. Look at verse 23 here. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a clue of the triunity of who we are, right? We are spirit, we are soul, and we are body, okay? But God wants us, every part of us, to be blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you think that avoiding sin is something that God wants us to do? According to His Word, it is, right? So as we flip back again to chapter 13 of Exodus, this is what we see happening in the lives of the Israelites as they were about to be set free from bondage. And then picking it up in verse 8 of Exodus 13, And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. So today, as as our children grow up, as the next generation after us comes forward, right? They may wonder why we do the things we do as Christians, if we're truly living as Christians. Why do we avoid this or that? Why do we not live in this way or that way? And we can tell them it is because of what the Lord has done in us. This is why I live the way I live. This is why I choose to do things the way I do. It's because of what the Lord has done. In other words, when I came to be set free in Jesus Christ, I was set free from the bondage of sin and death. And I serve the Lord today, my child. That's what we tell the children after us because of all that He has done for me. And God thought it important back then to tell them, hey, pass this on to your children. This, Peter talks about a precious faith we have. 
It's that precious. We need to pass it on. Verse 9, it shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. You know, as I read verse 9 there, and how it speaks of this day, this feast being a, uh, you know, something on their hands, a sign on their hands, between their eyes and in their mouth, right? I, I can't help but think about our Bibles being in our hands, between our eyes, and in our mouth. Right? We hold it, we read it, we speak it out, we share it with others. Right? We don't just do this once a year, however, though. Instead, we take the Word of God and we hide it in our hearts. And we allow, we allow it to be the living Word within us that it, that it is, allowing it to mold us and to shape us into the men and women that God desires for us to be. Verse 11, it shall be, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as He swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opened the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from any animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So again, we know that the Lord God was going to take them to the land that He promised would belong to them. Again, there were already people dwelling there. They were not the people of God, but rather were a heathen group of people. The Israelites would live amongst them, but the Israelites were to be a consecrated people, even though they live amongst all the rest of the people, right? Uh, They were to be a people that lived life differently, a people that were set apart for the glory of God. Today, we are that people through faith in Jesus Christ. And we are to live in a manner where we recognize that it all belongs to the Lord, all that we have. The earth is the Lord in all of its fullness. The money that you make does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. The food you have, the house in which you live, the job at which you choose to work, we're to sacrifice it all to the Lord. In their case, the animals that they had, that was their wealth in that day. The livestock that they owned, right? That's how wealth was judged back in that day. So they sacrificed which was that which was important to them, right? An unclean animal of their livestock like a donkey was not to be sacrificed to the Lord, but in its place there was to be a lamb sacrificed instead. And if you weren't going to sacrifice a lamb, right, for that donkey, then that unclean a- animal had had to have its neck broken. And this represents the choice for us today to be redeemed by Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, or to face destruction ourselves. We see that symbolically here. We can be redeemed, but only by the Lamb, by the blood of the Lamb. You know, I am like a a donkey, right? 
like a, a jackass that is not worthy to come to the Lord. But the Lamb of God was sacrificed for me. And if you're honest, you'll say the same thing about yourself. We're not worthy. We're worthy of destruction. But the Lamb of God was sacrificed for us. And of course, they would not sacrifice their children under God's instruction, but they still had to do something to honor the Lord with that child. So in that day, they sacrificed money for their firstborn child. They gave money, right? And you can find that in the book of Numbers, chapter 18 and verse 16, where it talks about that. See, the book of Numbers is a, is a book of numbers. It actually records all of this detailed kind of stuff that the Israelites did, you know. But let's read on here, verse 14. So it, so it shall be when your son asked you in time to come, saying, what is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So again, we see something here where it's portrayed to us that we live in a certain way that it influences our families. And our families say, why do you do that? Why do you give to the Lord? Why do you live this life like this? Why do you behave like it? Why don't you live like everyone else where it's all yours? It's all yours. Just, just buy, sell, and get gain and own all you have. Why do you live in such a way that you acknowledge the Lord in everything you do? And we say, because the Lord brought me out of bondage with a mighty hand. The Lord set me free, right? Verse 15, and it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Remember, we studied about that, right? But the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that opened the womb, but all the firstborns of my son I redeem. Again, this is just a man explaining this to his son. He said, when your son asks this, this is what you tell him. So he's explaining it to him, right? So we see the importance of leaving an impact on the generations that come after us. And we leave an impact for the glory of God. It's important that we pass on to them all that the Lord has done for us. In a detailed manner, explaining to them why we live the way we live. We do what we do because of all that the Lord has done for us. And again, we see what I already touched on in verse 16 where it says, It shall be a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes by the strength of the hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Verse 17, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, in other words, that was the easiest way to go, right? For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So you see, the, the Philistines were a people of war. And they would most likely have started war with the Israelites when they were passing through that way coming out of Egypt. So the Lord God made sure He didn't allow them to walk in the path of the Philistines because it might have scared the people to go back to Egypt. So today, when a person, I picture this like when a person comes to Christ, they're newborn in Christ, they don't need to rush into all the spiritual battles and such. They need to be cared for and nurtured for in the Word of God 
right, and grow up in Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that we are to lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. And as newborn babies, we are to desire the pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby. So it's important that we grow in God, but we do so through the word, okay? But, but God was taking care of his children here and sending them in a way that would avoid the war, the, the, the people of war that would have come against them. So God, verse 18, led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So again, why did they go in the direction of the Red Sea? Well, for one was to avoid the Philistines. And secondly, because God was going to do a mighty work at the Red Sea, wasn't he? But you know, as I think again about avoiding the Philistines, there is a people that we need to avoid today as well. And they are the people that are always looking for a battle, be it a physical battle or be it a battle of words. I I always make it my aim to avoid people that always have something up their sleeve or always want to argue or always want to dispute. You know, I always go around. I always take a different direction from these people, right? Because I know in so doing that the Lord will open a way for me to where He wants me to be, just like He's going to do for the children of Israel. They had to avoid these people and they had to go in a different direction and they were going to face the Red Sea. But the Red Sea wasn't too big for God. The Red Sea was going to be parted by God and they were going to walk through, right? So as we are obedient to the Lord, as we do all that we can to focus on the Lord and follow the Lord, as we give all diligence, as we read earlier, right? As we live a life of diligence, we may have to take ways that are uncomfortable or not the easiest way, right? It was easier for them just to go in the way of the Philistines. It says it was near. It was easier that way, but they went the hard way. But God will sometimes allow us to go the hard way and we'll wonder, what are you doing, God? Why am, why am I going this way? This way is so much harder. But he's going this way so that you can see that he is faithful and that he can work mightily on your behalf and that he can part the Red Sea that you face and open doors for you. He wants, he wants you to give him the glory. He wants you to to live a life that shows that everything you own, everything you have, belongs to Him. And you're going to obey Him no matter what. And you're going to walk in His way no matter what. Verse 19, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. When we studied about Joseph, we saw that he didn't want to be buried there. In Egypt. Even though Joseph had success in the land of Egypt, he still knew that it was never where he belonged. Right? He belonged with his people, the people of God. If in this life you have success, that is success in the way it is judged here in this world, like you fare well in this life, you have an abundance. If, if you are a child of God, you still are to live as if this is not your home. Your life doesn't consist or isn't based on the things that you possess here in this world. So we're to live as if we belong somewhere else. 
right? And that's eternally with the Lord. We need to live like the promised land is awaiting us, which it is. It's the new Jerusalem, right? Our eternal home. And we need to live like that's where we belong with the people of God. So Moses did what he was supposed to do and he took the bones of Joseph out of Egypt. Verse 20, so they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. So he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So God was with them always. He redeemed them in a mighty way. And he was going to take care of them and provide for them every step of the way. They simply needed to just keep walking. Today we are a people of faith with a precious faith, right? And we walk by faith and not by sight through this temporary life of ours. All that we have belongs to the Lord and we are to honor the Lord as such. There is darkness in this world and there is light. There is good and there is evil. We are to walk in the light of the Lord. We don't need a pillar of fire to light our way through the darkness today because we have the light of Christ in us. And we are to abstain from every form or every appearance of evil. The light of Christ is within us, whether there's darkness or whether there's light in this world. In other words, whether there's good or evil, Christ is in us. With each step of the way, we must always keep the Lord as our first and foremost priority. This is what Jesus taught us to do when Jesus said that we were to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Make it the priority of your life that God is first. And I will close this morning by having you read from one more passage of Scripture with me, and I want you to find the book of Proverbs. These are familiar verses from Proverbs, but Proverbs chapter 3, it's in the Old Testament, right after the book of Psalms. Proverbs chapter 3. Starting in verse 5, Proverbs chapter 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in how many of your ways in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths do not be wise in your own eyes in other words don't think you can do it alone don't think you can do it without the lord acknowledge him right fear the lord and Depart from evil. There we see it again, right? We abstain from evil, every appearance. We walk away from it. Why? Because it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you again for your word. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit, the comforter who teaches us, who counsels us, who leads us through this life, Lord. You desire that we would walk in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, Lord. But apart from you, we can do nothing. Lord, we, we have this faith that we have because of all that you have done, Lord. 
not because we're great people, because we're holy people, holier than anyone, Lord. We're, we're nothing, Lord. All we, like sheep, have, have gone astray, Lord. But Lord, I pray that each and every one of us here and those that listen via the internet, Lord, I pray that they have made that choice in their lives to turn their eyes upon you, to fix their eyes upon you, to trust in you with every part of their being, spirit, soul, and body, every part of them, Lord, would be submitted and committed to you. God, it's all yours, Lord. We would have nothing without you. You are creator, God. You are the everlasting God. You are the one who was and is and is to come, God Almighty. We thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We pray your will to be done in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.